Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Now, last week, if you were with us, we began a series called, Is God Racist? Where we're rereading the Bible in light of the injustice of racism and discrimination in our society today, and asking whether the Bible is part of the problem or in fact, the means of profound solutions. If you're just joining us for the first time, then welcome. Uh, please leave a note in the comments below to let us know that you are here. Now, we're, today we're addressing the question, wasn't discrimination commanded in ancient Israel? We won't be able to deal with every form of discrimination, but we're gonna focus in on how God commanded the Israelites to treat foreigners when he instituted the Passover. I'm convinced that this is a key text that helps us read the Old Testament with much less confusion. Before we get there, though, let me set up the problem. Some of you will remember Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. When he approaches her, it says in John 4, verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. If Jews couldn't even make small talk with foreigners, you might be thinking, this is probably God's idea. Then in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, there's a, another, another verse where the apostle Peter visits a Roman centurion in response to a vision. But when he gets there, he says something troubling. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. If I'm reading that, I'm thinking God must really be against foreigners. Even if he did reverse course in the New Testament, why would he make it illegal to even associate with or visit someone from another country? Well, it turns out he didn't. Both of these verses represent tradition in the first century rather than God's word. But even when you go to the Old Testament itself, there are certainly passages that seem to be anti-foreigner. Take, for instance, Nehemiah 9, verse 2. That's where it says, The Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. It sure sounds like getting away from foreigners is being described as a virtuous thing. And if you've been on the receiving end of discrimination as a foreigner, it might feel like, I've seen that before. <laughs> For me, living in Japan, I experienced tremendous kindness. But I also learned what it's like to be looked down upon as a foreigner. I've had people point and shout foreigner at me more times than I can count. I've had people assume that I couldn't understand or just wouldn't get it because I was a foreigner. I've had neighbors scowl and avoid me for the sole reason that I was a foreigner. And I learned what it's like to hear local news reports and school bulletins warning people to be on the alert because a foreigner with sunglasses had committed such and such a crime. I'll tell you, if you're one of a handful of foreigners in your community, it makes you want to stop wearing sunglasses. And I like to wear sunglasses. At the same time, I realize that for many people, this is still kindergarten level discrimination. 
Some of you may have felt hatred and maybe even violence because of your ethnicity. For some, discrimination has affected your career, your relationships, and maybe even your self-esteem. And so as you read the Bible, passages like the ones I've read can leave you feeling alienated. You wonder whether God's racist. I can't address all of the ways that it may feel like discrimination was commanded in ancient Israel, but I do want to walk you through one crucial passage, and I hope that it'll be foundational to how you approach the rest of the Old Testament's teachings in this area. That passage is Exodus 12, verses 41 to 51, uh, 43 to 51. Now, if you don't have your Bible handy, I want to encourage you to pause the video, turn there with me so you can have it open in front of you as we walk through it. Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 to 51. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the, pa statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a, as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. This is the word of God. Now, this passage describes the institution of the Passover immediately following the exodus from Egypt. And for me, it poses three important questions that I'd like to consider with you. Where did the non-Israelites in the exodus come from? Who are the so-called strangers and why are they included in the Passover meal? And who are the so-called foreigners and why are they excluded from the Passover meal? Let's start with the first question. Where did the non-Israelites in the Exodus come from? In other words, if there were just Jews fleeing from Egypt, why would God give these instructions about foreigners and eating the Passover? To answer that question, we need to back up a few lines on the page in front of you to verses 37 and 38. That's where it says, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Did you catch it? There were over a million Jews that escaped from slavery in Egypt, but they weren't alone. There was what's called a mixed multitude with them. <laughs> in other words, they left Egypt with a huge crowd of people with varying ethnicities. That would have likely included Egyptians, but also Kushites from what is now Northern Sudan, along with people from other surrounding nations. That's because Egypt was a little bit like the Roman Empire of its day. And so it was home to many different nationalities. But 
Why would such a large crowd of them have followed the Israelites? Remember what's happened just before. Before the Exodus, God had brought about plague after plague, but he announced them in, in advance through Moses. Although Pharaoh refused to acknowledge God, it's clear that many others in Egypt did. Uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 8, verse 19, for instance, it says, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. Or when Moses warned that hail would come upon the land in Exodus 9, verse 20, it says, Whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. So the plagues weren't just God's means to judge Pharaoh and rescue Israel. He used them to draw people of all backgrounds from across Egypt to faith in him. And so whenever we picture Israel in the Old Testament, we're to picture the descendants of Abraham and alongside them, all of the others whom God drew to himself. From the beginning, Israel was a multi-ethnic movement of worshipers of the true God. And the numbers were significant. In 2 Chronicles 2 verse 17, they take a census, and at that point, there were over 150,000 resident aliens living in Israel. And they're the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. That's where he vows, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Although God's plan was for Israel, it was never for Israel alone. It was always about through Israel to the ends of the earth. He was always seeking to bless the nations and draw people to himself through his people. And so what we see with the woman at the well where she's shocked to hear a Jew even speak with her, or with Peter who thought it was unlawful to even associate with anyone of another nation, that was ignorance of the plan of God and an abandonment of his mission. In the same way that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, there were periods in the history of Israel, and we have to admit, in the history of the church, where God's people have forgotten their calling. But God's never, never forgotten the nations. So we've considered where the non-Israelites in the Exodus came from. And we said that Israel was a multi-ethnic movement that drew people to God. But returning to our passage, who are these strangers and why are they included in the Passover meal? Take a look with me at verse 48 and you'll see who I'm talking about. It says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. The translation stranger here is a little unfortunate. They weren't just strange people. They weren't just people who dropped into the neighborhood. In other places, it's translated as sojourner, traveler. Uh, but that's not a word that we use very often either. See, they were non-Israelites, immigrants if you like. But in the early Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the word proselyte, and that's a hint to the meaning here. Strangers or sojourners, 
They were the non-Israelites who wanted to settle in Israel by adopting Jewish ways and worshiping the God of the Jews. They're the non-Israelites who are willing to be circumcised as a sign of their covenant relationship with the God of Abraham. And here in verse 48, God rolls out the red carpet for them to celebrate the Passover. That's significant because it's the great celebration and reenactment of God's salvation of his people. It's a little bit like the Christian celebration of the Lord's Supper. And by welcoming these people of different backgrounds and ethnicities to celebrate the Passover meal, God was communicating to them, you're my people too. I've delivered you and spared you from the great judgment to come. And God wanted there to be unity among all of his people. So in verse 49, he says, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. He wanted them included. He wanted equal treatment for them under Israel's laws. And whether their ancestry was Egyptian or Cushite or Syrian or Persian, he wanted them to experience unity and genuine love as the family of God. So in Leviticus 19 verse 34, God declares, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's people have always been called to show love and compassion for immigrants and outsiders. They had known oppression and discrimina discrimination as a despised minority in Egypt. And so God expected them to treat immigrants in Israel better than that. And he punctuated his command with the words, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God, as if to say, this is who I am. This is fundamental to my character. So don't misrepresent me by showing any, anything less than love to those who seek refuge among you. And that love was to be expressed in very concrete ways. So for example, in Leviticus 19 verse 10, it says, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Trying to establish yourself in a new country is always difficult financially. And non-Israelites didn't own land in Israel, so it was hard for many of them economically. So God made sure that the Jewish people made special allowances for them. And according to Deuteronomy 26 verse 12, there was actually a special tithe collected every third year. People gave an extra tenth of all they harvested that year, and the regulation said it was to be given to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And it adds, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Is that your heart? Do you show a special compassion toward immigrants? Are you sensitive to the stresses and challenges that they face? Or are you more concerned about what you might have to give up? When Israel failed to love and support the sojourners among them, they failed to reflect the character of God. And the same is true of us today. So we've seen where the non-Israelites in the Exodus came from and said that Israel was always a multi-ethnic movement that drew people to God. 
And we've seen that the strangers or the sojourners were included in the Passover because they were drawn to faith and were circumcised as a sign of their covenant relationship with God. But who are the foreigners and why are they excluded from the Passover meal? If the sojourners were the non-Israelites who were drawn to Israel's God, the foreigners were the non-Israelites who were just drawn to Israel's opportunities. In this passage, they're distinguished by the fact that they won't receive circumcision. They're not so much committed to adopting Jewish ways and following Jewish laws. Like the hired workers mentioned in verse 45, their goal isn't assimilation, but just profit. In Ezekiel, uh, the same word for foreigners is used in chapter 44, verse 9. There it says, No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh of all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. This wasn't the case for the stranger or sojourner, but the foreigner wasn't allowed into the temple. And the reason is they were uncircumcised in heart and flesh. In other words, they didn't show any evidence of a relationship with God, either in their body or in their heart. The word translated as foreigner describes the non-Israelites who were committed to other gods. And the fear was that they would influence Israel with their idolatry and their immorality. That's why in verse 43 and 45 of our passage, they're banned from eating the Passover. If people who worshipped other gods took part in a celebration of God's deliverance from Egypt, it would turn a sacred meal into a secular party. It, it, the Passover would, uh, the, or, would lose its meaning as a reenactment of God's salvation for those who had put their trust in him. It, it's the same reason that a, a person's participation in the Lord's Supper regularly follows their baptism. This is also what's behind the warnings against marrying foreigners in places like Ezra and Nehemiah. For example, in Ezra verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, the priest confronts the people saying, you've broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. The point wasn't that they'd married non-Israelites. Both Judah and Joseph had done that. Moses, as we'll see next week, had done that as well. The problem wasn't with their ethnicity, it was with their theology. The sin was in committing to a life partner who wasn't committed to your God. And I realize that some people may have a problem with that. That doesn't seem equal. It doesn't seem inclusive. And it's not. It's not intended to be. If your faith is kind of vague and it matters very little to you, and you marry someone whose faith is also pretty hazy and doesn't matter much to them, that's probably a pretty good fit. But in the Bible, the faith relationship that God calls us to is one in which we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love for him is to affect all that we do. For someone with that kind of faith, to marry someone without it, is to join two people together in a three-legged race who not only are aiming in different directions, but are using completely different compasses to get there. It's not fair to either one. So when you read the Old Testament scriptures and think about God's plan for Israel, I want you to first of all remember Israel was always a multi-ethnic movement 
that drew people to God. The mixed multitude that joined the Israelites as they left Egypt in the Exodus would only grow. And the promise to Abraham was that God would bless all the families of the earth in him. And that mandate has only expanded in the church. The good news has come from the Jews to the entire world. And we're to continue to spread that blessing. So if you're still stuck inside your own ethnic bubble, and there are people of different backgrounds that you look down on or don't associate with, then you're living in opposition to the plan and purposes of God. As you read the Old Testament, understand that the lines drawn toward foreigners had everything to do with their idolatry and nothing to do with their ethnicity. God still doesn't want his people to mix his word with the other religions of the world. But we're commanded to love the sojourner and show compassion to the stranger. When someone from another country or a different background moves in next door to you, your first response should be, maybe they'll join us as part of the mixed multitude. Maybe God has brought another Rahab or Ruth for you to bless. Because no matter what their nationality, their religion, or the color of their skin, we believe God can make sojourners out of foreigners. And that happens as we extend the grace and love of God the way that grace was extended to us in Christ. Now, if that's difficult for you, if you pull back from people who are different, if you struggle to include people who aren't like you, then maybe you've forgotten what Jesus did for you. We were all outsiders to the family of God. We were all separated from God, not just by our nationality, but by our sin. And despite that, Jesus entered our world. Although he was born Jewish, he himself had to flee with Mary and Joseph, his parents, to Egypt as a refugee because Herod was determined to kill him. So he knows the pain of discrimination. But he died on the cross for our sins that we might be reconciled to the family of God and to our Father in heaven. He paid our immigration fees that we might become citizens of heaven. And anyone who's received that kind of grace knows you have to pay it forward. If you have nothing to pay to those who are different than you, then maybe you need to return to the cross and ask whether there's something there that you may have forgotten. Or ask whether you've really put your trust in the Savior who died for outsiders. As we receive his grace, he gives us the power to show it. Let's turn to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your plan. We marvel at your incredible love for all the nations of this earth. I thank you for the way that you have throughout history been drawing people to yourself. And you have done so across ethnic lines, across national boundaries. We praise you for your great love. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to demonstrate that love. Help us to show others the same love that you showed us. Help us to reflect in our treatment of people of different backgrounds, different nationalities, different ethnicities. Help us to reflect your incredible grace 
your generous love, the love that draws outsiders in, the love that makes sojourners out of foreigners. And Father, if there is anyone listening who still feels like an outsider to you, help them to see how Jesus paid their immigration fees. Help them to see what he did on the cross that they might become a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Do that work in all of our lives, Father, for we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I hope today's message has helped you see God's love for the nations and his desire that we draw outsiders in and show love and compassion to those who are different than us. If you think this is a message that other people need to hear, then help share this message and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracevc.ca. God bless and see you next time.